So here we are, the end of the year. I thought last year we said that that COVID would be over, but we're still dealing with it. Um, but so what we'll do this morning um, is look at a familiar passage, as you see, Matthew 28. So turn there with me if you have that, um, if you have a Bible with you, an app, whatever you have, there's Bibles in the back. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. We'll look at that today, and then next Sunday we'll jump back into the gospel according to Isaiah. Uh, We're going to get through that book. Um, We have finished the first major section, chapters 1 through 39 is the first major section. The next major section is chapters 40 through 55, 16 uh, chapters. Uh, That'll take us to um, Resurrection Sunday, known as Easter. Um, So we'll be in Isaiah until we get to Easter. And then I think what we're going to do is at Easter time, right after we celebrate... And prayerfully, we're in our new building, but if not, that's okay. We're going to celebrate the resurrection anyway. Um, We're going to do the New Testament book, the book of Colossians. So you want to be studying that book uh, as we take a break from Isaiah in this summer. uh, Excuse me, this spring. Um, And then we'll finish up Isaiah. The next major section is chapters 56 through 66. So uh, that's where we're headed for the next at least several months. But for now, open up your Bibles to Matthew 28. Let me read to you a familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 28, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. One gospel, his name is Jesus, four accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. Hear now the word, inspired, authoritative, inherent word of God. Chapter 28, Matthew, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had directed them, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So as I mentioned, it is my prayer that God would give us a fresh insight into this passage of scripture. Many of you here this morning, I'm sure, have heard this message, this this text being preached many, many times. Many, many times. And I'm, I'm hoping that we get a greater insight, maybe even a stir in our hearts, a, a greater hunger for the Missio Dei. It's Latin for the mission of God. That he has invited his children to participate with him in. It's important, I believe, when we talk about the mission of God, that we recognize that the mission of God did not really start in chapter 28 of Matthew. That's not where it began. God has always been about seeking and saving the lost, displaying his glory and saving mankind. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God. And scripture tells us that God immediately went after Adam and pursued him, who was hiding from God. And God pronounces, we know Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God pronounces a promise in the midst of their sin, their stupidity and folly, that he would rescue mankind by sending a son, the seed of a woman. He would be bruised, but he would crush the head of Satan. 
Not only was God gracious in not killing Adam and Eve on the spot for disobeying them and rebelling against them. Not only was he gracious for not killing them, and not only was he gracious in giving them a promise that he would redeem them. God, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, kills an animal and clothes them from their nakedness and shame. They tried to do it themselves. They tried to fig leaves to cover their shame. And God's like, nope, you can't save yourself. I will save you. And he covers them. Then as you read in the book of Genesis, God calls Abraham from a pagan land and a pagan worship. And he calls Abraham and he tells Abraham, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to give you a specific piece of land. I'm going to give you a sizable lineage and the Savior himself will come from you. In fact, from your lineage, a son will be born and he will bless not just the Jewish people, but he will bless the whole world. The whole world. And by grace, God makes himself and reveals himself to Israel through Moses. He first delivers them from Egypt. You know the story. And redeems them and saves them and rescues them and calls them out of slavery and gives them the law. The Mosaic Covenant and says, this is how you ought to worship me. I always say this, let me say it again. Remember, salvation and redemption came first. The law came second. And God reveals himself. And it's significant that when, when, the, when the kings come and God uh, 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 t- tells Solomon to build a temple in this t- big, huge place where God will dwell and will meet his people, where the Shekinah glory comes. Solomon's prayer is that this temple, he says in 1 Kings, when a foreigner who is not your people, Israel, comes from a foreign country for your name's sake, they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear God in heaven, please, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls on you, in order, listen, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house, this place of worship, this temple, this dwelling place that I have built, Solomon says, is called by your name. The Old Testament people, or the prophets, also spoke of the coming Messiah. We've been studying the book of um, Isaiah. And so much in Isaiah uh, speaks about um, God's justice to all the nations. How God will, will save uh, 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 all the, the people. and He'll be a light to all the Gentiles. He'll reach to the ends of the earth. Do you see what's happening here? Mission work is ultimately the work of God, and its starting point is not the concluding words of Matthew 28, but from the very beginning of history, God's covenant focus and his purpose was to reach out and rescue all the nations. When we see the mission of God from that perspective, from from Genesis chapter 3, rather than this new this new work just for the church, then we could then we could see that we have been called into this mission, into this participating with God from the very beginning. It's been a work in progress. We not only get a better a theological basis for the mission of God in the in the scriptures, but we understand the entire narrative of the Bible. The salvation of God. God's mission is one of redemption and reconciliation and and restoration. He is actively in working and has been working to restore his creation to wholeness, and that includes of course culminating with the coming of Jesus. 
the missio day, the, the, the mission of God is the, the Trinitarian God sending his people on mission. Just as Jesus said in John 17, as you, Father, sent me, I am sending them into the world. Chapter 20, he says, peace be with you, he tells his disciples. As the Father has sent me mission, I'm sending you. And make no mistake about it, the very heart of the mission, the very, the very pinnacle, the very foundation of the, of the mission of God is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in Matthew 28. What you find now in Matthew 28 is God making it crystal clear what his mission has always been about, and that is the good news of the gospel, the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And although the mission we see throughout the Old Testament has been proclaimed in the life of, uh, in the promise to Adam and Eve and to uh, Abraham and, and um, Noah and and uh, Moses and the prophets and, and the kings, although it's been proclaimed, we see it manifested. We see the, the mystery being made known clearly in Jesus. That's Matthew 28. Like a Polaroid picture, if some of you remember those, right? When you take the picture, it gets clearer and clearer and clearer as time goes on, and then finally it comes crystal clear. His name is Jesus, the good news. Jesus is the promised one. And now he gives the church their marching orders. Just reiterating that he has come and now he is sending his people out to church. So three things we'll see. The deity of Christ in this passage. The command, uh, excuse me, the, the claim and command of Christ. And then the comfort of Christ. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going. Keep your Bibles open. Matthew 28. Um, and we'll look at uh, the first point, the deity of Christ. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now, it should be no surprise to anyone that Jesus, with all authority, is now directing and commanding his church concerning the Missio Dei, concerning the mission of God. Matthew ends his gospel account actually emphasizing the mission, not just to the Jewish people, but to all the world. But if you notice the text, verse 16, the the eleven come to Galilee, to the mountain. They saw him, and, and they worshiped him, but what? Some... Doubted. Matthew tells us that they came and they gathered. Why did they go to Galilee? Why, why not were they in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified? Because Jesus told them to go to Galilee. Jesus told them, go to Galilee where I will meet you there. Right? He's been telling that. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed and, and prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. He turns to his, his 12 disciples at that time in the upper room and he says, you'll fall away this night. <laughs> you're going to fall away. I asked when Peter's like, no, not me, but you're going to fall away. For it is written, Jesus, the word of God, speaking the word of God, for it is written in the Old Testament, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. But, Jesus says to them, after I'm raised from the dead, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus told his disciples, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to Jerusalem. I am going to die, but I'm going to rise. And when I rise, meet me in Galilee. Matthew chapter 28, verse 7, the women at the tomb. The angel says to them, listen, go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee, just like Jesus said, 28, 7. In fact, look at chapter 28, verse 10. Jesus shows up and reiterates to these women the same message. Go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, just like I told them. And here we see in verse 16, the disciples are in Galilee. 
Now, you may think, so what? Actually, it's very important and significant that they're in Galilee. In fact, Galilee is where everything began. In Matthew, if you, you, I don't know, the ladies, you're going to learn this uh, coming up in a few weeks. Um, Matthew is written, written from a very Jewish perspective for a Jewish audience. There's a lot of Jewish rituals uh, in the book of Matthew written to a Jewish audience. Uh, but it says in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew says, The land of Zebulun, the land of, of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, gives you a clue, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, from Isaiah, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began, he's in Galilee, to the Gentiles, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? That's where the mission, that's where, that's where his mission began, his preaching began. So meeting in now in Galilee is underscoring the worldwide mission in which Jesus is telling them to go, meet me in Galilee. Where it all began, I want to commission you. And you may think, well, so what? Well, ladies, you're going to learn again. In Ma- one of the things you're going to see in Matthew is that over and over, Jesus makes it really clear that his mission was first and foremost to the Jewish people. In fact, chapter 15, Jesus said in response to the words of a Syrophoenician woman, uh, my mission is not to the Gentiles, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In fact, when he sends his disciples out first, he sends them to the people of Israel. But just so that there's no confusion, he came to the house of Israel and he came preaching a message to the Jewish people first. Just so there's no confusion, he tells the disciples, listen, meet me in Galilee to the Gentiles. Because where I'm going to send you is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. Just as I said to, 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 to Adam and Eve, just as I said to Abraham, just as I was making it clear at the building of my temple, it's for all the people. It's a worldwide mission. He's on a mountain. Just like Moses. The new Moses, the true and better Moses is here. Not giving the Ten Commandments, but giving the command to go and make disciples. But it says, some doubted. Some doubted. Some worshipped, some doubted. Those at that place, worshipping Jesus, some there's an argument, there's not an argument, there's a debate. Was it just the 11 that were in Galilee? At that point, people had seen his resurrection. People have known that he was alive. And there could have been a crowd, but Matthew just makes it clear that the 11 were there. I don't know. We don't know. Probably more. But he's on the mountain, and they're all worshiping him. Think about that for a minute. This is the Jewish people. These are men who have been raised and brought up in the Old Testament scripture. And if there's one thing that the Jewish people held to was their held tightly to was their monotheistic understanding of God. There is one God. Some of you have heard of what the calls the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. They recited it daily, multiple times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Declaring the essence of God being one God, a confession of the one true and living God of all creation is one that they worship. Being a devout Jew, have been raised reciting the Shema, and here they are worshiping Jesus, knowing that you don't worship anyone or anything but God alone. Matthew wants to make it clear at the end of his gospel account again that these consecrated Orthodox Jews are on their face before the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the word worship, the Greek word there, means to fall prostrate. 
so that you know without a shadow of a doubt at the end of this gospel account, there's no doubt in your mind that these men recognize Jesus Christ as God in the flesh. There'll always be false teachers. We have them today that deny the deity of Christ, whether it's the Jehovah Witness, whether it's the Mormons. They deny the deity of Christ. But make no mistake about it. Jesus made it very clear in his proclamation that he is God in the flesh. Not only has he said things like before Abraham was, I am declaring his eternality. But here in this text, he is receiving worship. He doesn't tell them, get up off your knees, stop worshiping me. You're a Jew like I am. You know better. He doesn't do that. And throughout Scripture, when men or angels bow to one another in worship, they're rebuked. Not here. He's receiving worship because he is God in the flesh. We've just celebrated Christmas. There are a lot of... I shouldn't say a lot. There are things in Scripture. If you're a reader of Scripture and you've been studying Scripture for any amount of time, that's hard to understand. It's just hard. I think Peter was Peter, I think, in one of his letters said, you know, Paul's writings are hard to understand. If Peter's having a hard time, it's okay to have a hard time. Peter's having a hard time. But one of the things that was really clear, that is black and white, that there was not a hard time for, for centuries was the reality of the truth of the deity of Christ, right? The of Christ. If not for Christ's deity, there is no gospel, right? I mean, there are things that we could we can debate, we can talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pan-trib, it all pan out, you know, whatever. One of the things the church recognized and held for centuries was the deity of Christ and the proclamation of the word of God and the disciples, the first disciples who worshiped Jesus, that he is God in the flesh. Not just a good and moral man. If you're here today and you're, you haven't recognized Jesus as fully God and fully man, listen, you just think he has some really fun things to say and smart things to say and some really moral things to say. Listen, if he's not God, he's a liar and a bad man and no one should ever listen to anything he says. But if he is who he says he is, then we should sit up and listen up to what he has to say to us. If he's not the eternal God in the flesh, he's a liar and a deceiver. But that's not what Matthew shows us. The picture he shows us is he is testifying to the deity of Christ. And they're worshiping him. Some doubted. Does that take you by surprise? Wow. Some doubted. You ever have doubts? Hmm. And let me say this. If you ever want to start a worldwide religion and make a lot of money, don't put something like this in there. Like, yeah, some of the disciples, they doubted. You want to just say, they all fell down and worship and everything was great. Like, no. Actually, some doubted. And the reason we know that it's doubted, and it's because it's true, because it's in Scripture. One of the reasons we believe in the Word of God being uh, correct and accurate. Like, no one would ever put that in there. But some doubted. There are those who doubt. There are two kinds of doubters in the world. There are doubters who are honest doubters. They're honest doubters. They struggle with their faith. Maybe you're here today. And you have doubts. Like many of us who question and doubt, and, and we seek answers. We want to know the truth, right? We're doubters. We're not sure about certain things. We're honest doubters. We, we want to know what the truth is, and, we, and we're looking for the truth. It's something I think all of us can identify at some point in our life. Just sitting here today, there are, there are, you know, I'm sure 
various degrees of faith. Some of you have grown in your faith and you're strong in your faith. You don't doubt as much as some others, but it's a mixed bag, I'm sure, for all of us. And maybe different times of our lives we have questioned and doubted God's faithfulness and his love to us. I think we all can understand that. One of the shortest prayers in the, in the gospel according to Mark, if you know the story, the, this father comes to Jesus with a boy who needs to be healed. And before Jesus heals the boy, he says to the father, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the guy yells out and cries out and prays really, I believe. And then what does he say? Help my unbelief. As an honest doubter. <laughs> I believe, Lord. Help me. <laughs> right? Then there are those who doubt only because they don't want to know the truth. And maybe you're here today. You don't really want to know the truth. The reason that you doubt is because you're really looking for reasons not to go to come to faith, to remain in your unbelief. So you doubt. You, that's not really doubting in a sense of honest doubting. That's, that's doubting to stay where you are. I don't think that's what's happening here. The text tells us that they doubted. That Greek word really means more of a hesitation than unbelief. Remember, lots happening. I think some of these followers of Jesus, he just was crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's been seen. Uh, they, they need some clarity. Some are worshiping him. Some are doubting. And then when, of course, Pentecost comes, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So much of that changes that the Holy Spirit just reveals to them the truth about Christ, which goes to show that if we, if we, if we want to go from doubting to, to, to trusting, from uncertainty to, to certainty, we need, to, we need the spirit of truth. And we need the word of truth. Look at verse 18. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them. So the Holy Spirit's opened their heart at Pentecost, but here we see Jesus coming to them and speaking to them. So family, I'll tell you this morning, if you have honest doubts, and you're seeking truth, and you want to know the truth, the word of Jesus, open your Bible. Read the word this year. Be, be, get up in the morning and read scripture. It produces belief, worship, ministry. It is the word of Jesus that drives away doubt, fear, uncertainty. Unfortunately, some Christians are looking for some mystical encounter rather than just opening God's word, trusting what he says. Matthew says, look, you have doubts. The solution is the word of Christ. By the word of Christ, Paul says what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So discipleship, as we see the disciples gathering, begins by following the command to go to Galilee and worship. Worship the God who took on flesh and bones. Then we look to the claim and command of Christ. Before Jesus gives the church their marching orders, he tells them that he has been given, look what it says, he has been given all authority, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, right? So family, listen to me. There is no missio Dei. There is no mission of God. There's no mission without authority, okay? No mission without authority. There's no salvation without authority. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. There's no sending without authority. The entire mission and command of Christ is based upon Jesus Christ claim to have all authority on heaven and on earth. And first of all, just think about that for a minute. If Jesus was not who he said he was, God in the flesh, what kind of statement is that? 
to claim if you're not God that all authority in the universe is given to you is either a, a statement of a power-grabbing tyrant or a deluded and deeply uh, deceived individual and a tr- very troubled person, if not God himself. Radical claim. Don't pass right over this. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He made it an absolute claim of kingship and lordship over the world. And when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, he's not denying that he wasn't God in the flesh. What he's saying is, now that I have come down from heaven, now that I have took on flesh, what we call it the condescension of Christ in the incarnation, I obeyed the Father completely, I went to the cross where I died for sin, I rose from the dead, and I have been exalted, and Philippians tells us every knee will bow, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's talking about this exalted state in which he now stands as the God-man who's been crucified and risen from the dead. He died for sin. He declared his victory over guilt and condemnation. He rose from the dead, declaring victory over suffering, death, and Satan. And now Jesus has triumphed so gloriously over all those things, suffering and condemnation, that he has been exalted. Philippians chapter 2. We looked at this, I know, on Friday night. Though he in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It wasn't a distraction of, of, of deity. It was an addition of humanity. Born in the likeness of men, found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, that's to the Father, to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him in his work on the cross and resurrection from the grave and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every single knee ever. Anyone who had a kneecap is going to bow. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God in the flesh to the beauty and incalculable worth and value of God the Father. Which is really just another way of saying all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Same thing. And because of this authority, Jesus has the right and the authority to issue to his followers their marching orders. But he also, because of that, has the ability to help them carry out those orders. Before the foundation of the world, the Father in covenant redemption made a promise to his Son. You fulfill your obligations to me as the mediator of the covenant, rescuing and redeeming my people. I will place everything under your feet. Just read Psalm 2. What it's all about. And Jesus is saying, I've delivered it. I've done what I've done. I have followed you. I have been obedient to you. And now all that you've given me is mine from the foundations of the world. And these disciples need to understand this because Jesus is going to pass on this baton to them to take this mission to the world. And that every knee and every tongue and every nation will bow before Christ and profess him, profess him as King of kings and Lord of lords. We go from this great claim, the deity, the claim, and now the command of Christ. Look at verse 19, another um, familiar passage. But I want you to see in verse 19 um, that there is 
only one imperative. You've probably heard this before. Bear with me if you have. There's only one imperative, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's one imperative, which means there's one command in all of that. And there's three participles, okay? So the one command, three participles in that statement. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching are how you make disciples. The command in that, the imperative is make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching is how you, make, how you fulfill the command, the imperative, to make disciples. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is commanding his church to do. To follow the command of going while you are going to, to make disciples. Not to, to, to get people to pray more. Not to big, big buildings. Okay? We're in the middle of a building expansion. I know I just said that. But we need to keep the main thing, the main thing in our building expansion. Nothing wrong to pray more. Nothing more wrong to make more room. But let's keep the main thing, the main thing. God said, I will build my church. You, me, us, you go and make disciples. You go, I'll build my church. And that means that we are to call people to faith. Calling people to repent of sin, turn to Jesus, and then live with him and for him. And what's interesting about this verse, maybe you never saw this before, maybe you did. We talk about this a lot when we were in Isaiah. The word therefore in verse 19. Therefore is, we got to ask the question, what is therefore, therefore, right? So, so it usually points to the previous verses. Go therefore, what he's saying is, you can go therefore because of what I've said earlier. I'm worthy of worship and all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because of that, I'm God in the flesh, I'm worthy of worship, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, I want you to go. And as you're going, I've given you the command to make disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts with me. Acts. I gotta say that right. Everybody thinks I'm from the city and like I'm gonna kill somebody. Acts. <laughs> Not A X, right? A C T S. Acts. Let me say that right. Acts. <laughs> Acts chapter eight. No, probably know the story. Early in chapter seven, Stephen is martyred. He's killed, uh, stoned to death. Okay, not from smoking weed. He was stoned to death with rocks. Just keep you straight, okay? Um, and it says that the church uh, had a, a severe persecution against it. I, I don't think they, they, everyone was there in Matthew 28. Jesus said, go into all the world. They're like, yeah, it's comfortable right here. So there's a persecution, and the persecution causes and forces God's people to move out in faith. That could happen in 2022 in Albany, New York. So don't think for a minute that God is not sovereign over our persecution. God wants us to speak up. Anyway, great persecution arose. God's people finally, you can see how lazy and complacent we all can become, are on the move. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered, that's because of the persecution that came upon the church in Jerusalem. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Remember, Jesus is going to say, I'll look at this a little bit. You know, preach Jerusalem, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. 
So now they're in Jerusalem. Yeah, we're good here. You're in Samaria. Now, what's interesting about this text is verse 15, the word proclaimed is the word caruso, caruso, meaning proclaiming the gospel. It has more of a the pro, public proclamation. So Philip is going down, and he is in, in a pulpit. He's on a street corner. Whatever he's doing, he's a heralder. That's what that word means. He's, a, he's a, pronouncing the good news of the gospel. But in verse, the next verse, in verse 4, excuse me, they went about preaching the word. That is a different Greek word. That is the word evangelazo, meaning conversations about Jesus. It is the word in which we get our word evangelism. All those who were scattered were going and gospeling, sharing, evangelizing, which we call gospeling. I know it's not a word. It is now gospeling the gospel. What this, text tells, what this text tells us is that people are scattered. Now, now just, just for a minute, you're, you're, you live in Jerusalem all your life. Persecution come and 2,000 people leave. I made that number up, just let's just say. And they're, they're going miles, right? Not getting in the car. It's not like they're going to the neighborhood they hang out at. They're, they're, they're going to a place they don't know. What are they going to do? They're going to get jobs. They're going to be in new communities, Right? They're going to be finding new homes, new jobs, new communities. And what this text tells us, they were intentionally and constantly sharing life with others with the habit of looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus, to encourage, to challenge, to pray for others for the sole purpose of declaring the gospel in these new communities, in these new homes, in these new jobs. In his book, Total Church, Tim Chester writes this, Living ordinary life with gospel intentionality means buying from local shops, frequenting a local coffee shop or pub, playing a local sports team, tipping generously in local restaurants. Living ordinary life with gospel intentionality means being the kind of neighbor everyone wants to have as a neighbor, volunteering at a local charity shop along with a couple of others from the church doing ordinary things in community. He says, living ordinary life with gospel intentionality means opening your home, opening your home too and sharing food with others, walking the same route to work or the same time catching up, the same train each and every day. Living ordinary life with gospel intentionality means doing everything for the sake of the gospel, end quote. The early church took this opportunity when persecution came to be gospeling, to be demonstrating the gospel and declaring the good news of Jesus. So as they were going, that's what they were doing. Have you looked at your life that way? Where God has placed you in your job, where God has placed you in your community, as you are going, as you are living, is that what we are doing? Intentionally loving others, looking for opportunities with our eyes open to see how we can connect and talk with and share with them the Christ, the Messiah, the one who died for their sins. That's the goal. That's what we're here for as a church. Not membership expansion, not even church growth. We're here to make disciples. And I want you, Jesus said, to make disciples of all nations, all groups, all people. All right? But it doesn't end there. Our goal is mission. I get that. We want to see people come to faith, walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, and then we want them to be baptized. Now, let me, let me just backtrack a minute, just so we're on the same page. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, 
literally a learner, a disciple attached himself to a teacher, uh, identified with him, learned from him, lived with him, watched him, worked with him. A disciple of Christ is someone who, who responds to the gospel, the call of Christ to, to repent of sin and to follow him. Someone who is constantly um, uh, learning the gospel, appropriating the gospel. In other words, applying the gospel. They respond, they apply the gospel. And then a disciple is also communicating that gospel to other people. That's part of discipleship. And gospel-centered discipleship resounds around the person and the work of Christ and the mission of Christ. Not just a learner, not just uh, simply listening, but doing. Our, our, our God has called disciples, his 11 disciples, teaching them, and then sends them out to make new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. So we, we can't just rest in just sharing the gospel. we got to be about discipling them as well, teaching them and showing them that they need to be baptized. That's the first step. A public confirmation, a, a, a disciple who, who publicly confirms they have turned from sin, they trusted in Christ, they embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they're willing to follow his command and be baptized. Baptism is simply a formal expression of an outward, uh, excuse me, a formal expression, an outward expression of inward faith, I want to say. An outward expression of inward faith. It is given to the church to publicly proclaim that they have faith in Christ, identifying with Jesus, Romans 6, in his death, burial, and resurrection, identifying him in his work on the cross. But family, listen, baptism is also identifying with God's people, the church. God's people, the church. There is no discipleship, and some of you may not like this. There is no real discipleship. It cannot happen without the communion of the saints in the church and the body of Christ. If you don't like that, talk to Jesus. That's all we see in the New Testament. You can't be a disciple and be a lone ranger. You've got to be part of the body of Christ. They understood that. When the gospel was preached in the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to faith, joined the body of Christ, joined the church, and they were what? Baptized. We follow in the line of that pattern of his word and of what the church has done, hearing that word and doing as they baptized individuals. And to this day, still, there's non-compliance. People still don't want to get baptized. There's a clear command in Scripture. Believe and be baptized. I can't get any more clear than that. So if you're here today and you have not been baptized and you call yourself a follower of Christ, I implore you in the command of Christ, be baptized. We're having a baptism service. Come spring. Come and see me. Come see one of the pastors. We'll, we'll have a short conversation. We'll spend an hour with you. Just explain to make sure you understand. Then we ought to teach them. Teach them. Jesus, Jesus is not saying, listen, until you're baptized, don't tell them anything. He's not saying that. You know, baptize them, then teach them. So if you're baptized, no, I got nothing to say. No, what he's saying is baptism is that one-time event. What teaching is what? Teaching is a lifelong experience. Discipleship is a journey. Right? I mean, who's been there? Who has gotten to the end? None of us. It's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong trial. Baptism points to that moment in time, but teaching is, 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 is a constant thing. It, it, it's continual in our lives. So making disciples about coming to faith and following in faith. It's birth and growth. Opening the door, walking down the path. It's about learning and doing, studying and obedience, life choices and inward transformation ongoing. 
Okay? Ongoing. I read this truth this week. Uh, I read it. I don't know where I got it, but it says this. If non-Christians are not hearing the gospel and not being challenged to make a decision for Christ, then the church has disobeyed, we, the church, has disobeyed one part of Jesus' commission. If new converts, though, are not faithfully and lovingly being nurtured in the whole counsel of God's revelation, then the church has disobeyed the other part. It's both. The going and the baptizing and the teaching to observe all I have given you. Warren Worsby writes this. A disciple, then, is one who has believed on Jesus Christ, expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers that he might be taught the truth of the faith. He is then able to go out and win others and teach them. This is the pattern of the New Testament church, end quote. Hmm. Now, we're going to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Let, let, without sounding like Captain Obvious... You see those commercials, they crack me up, Captain Obvious. Let, let, me, let me just point out something obvious to you. Look at, look at Matthew. <clears throat> he says, teach them all, not some, all that I've commanded you, right? Everybody see that? All that I've commanded you. All. Everything I've commanded you. Now, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's what, that's what the Bible says. Jesus' simple command to make disciples... By baptizing and teaching them, first sharing the gospel, baptizing and teaching them, observe all that I commanded you. Wouldn't the first thing we should teach others to do is to make new disciples? I mean, Jesus is giving the command, look, do everything that I've commanded you to do. And don't forget what I just said two seconds ago. Make new disciples. Yeah, to be baptized, to follow his commands, to, I mean, to, to learn from him, but to follow the command to make new disciples. So we could talk a lot about what Jesus commanded the church to do, but let's not forget what he said right here in the text. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You came to faith to get baptized. First command you need to learn, first thing that Jesus wants to teach you is go and make new disciples. That would only make sense. I mean, isn't that what Jesus is doing? Isn't that what he wants us to do? If we claim to be followers of Christ and we're not doing that, should we not take a look and say, hmm. Now, I want to end here. We're going to go to comfort, and that's only going to be a couple of minutes. But let me just say this, okay? Some of you have heard messages on the mission of God, the missio day, and the, what they call the mission mandate. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, oh, he's right. I mean, I can't argue with Matthew 28. I'm not doing any of that. I guess I better start doing it. I don't want you to do that. You don't have to. You get to, number one. Okay? Dr. Tim Keller explains how when he reads the book of Acts and he sees this gospeling, this this mission, and these people being filled with the Spirit and sharing Christ, he says it reminds him of a nuclear explosion that doesn't give death but brings life. How an explosion happens and the ripple effects take place and and affects everyone as the message is spread. Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where the bomb, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I'd rather leave, I'd rather you leave here this morning saying, okay, I got to get my heart right. 
this, this is the joy. This is the, this is the work of Christ. This starts with worship. Remember on the mountain, worship. Christ is telling me to, telling me to go. I don't have to go. I get to go. I want, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with love. I want to be filled with the mission. I want to bring joy to God's heart, joy to God's people, and I want to be part of what God is doing because I'm a follower of God. I'm a follower of Christ, and this is what Christ is doing. I'd rather you see it as a gospel opportunity, not a works opportunity, but a way in which we express our gratitude and thanksgiving and joy and love and glory that we have for God with others. Does that make more sense? And that's why Jesus gives us this comfort. I'm with you to the end of the age. I have authority, I'm giving you the command, and now I want to comfort you, my children, on your mission. I'll be with you every day, the whole day, until my coming again. My presence and my power is here to comfort you. It was G, uh, G, G. Campbell Morgan was teaching on this passage uh, through the book of Matthew, and he gets to the end of this, and he says, look what it says. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he says, isn't that a wonderful promise? And a sweet old lady saint said, excuse me, no, no, that's not a promise. That's a fact. He is with us. What a comfort. It should motivate us to step out in faith, should it not? Can you imagine anything more comforting than that, especially in light of what he's given us to do, the responsibilities we have? Could it be that we don't sense the spirit of Christ or the presence of Christ much in our lives is because we're not, our heart is not where his heart is? His heart is seeking and saving the lost. Our heart should be there too. Are we ready to go out to people, maybe not like us, in our communities that have come in? Are we, listen, maybe there's somebody here that's been called to a foreign nation, to overseas, and you need to speak with me, and we can get you connected with someone and see where is God calling you to go. But wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we are here to share the good news of Christ. And the question is, today in 2021, as we close out, are you willing to go? Are you willing to make disciples? Are you willing to share your faith? Are you willing to come along somebody? Are you seeking to love people? Are you seeking to hear their stories, hear their fears, hear what their heart's aches are, and share with them the good news of Christ, even the joys in their life, and point to Jesus? When we go in the name of Jesus, on mission with Jesus, with the authority of Jesus, he is with us. You know, Matthew opens up with these words to Joseph. The angel says to him, your, daughter, your wife will bear a son who will call his name Jesus, where he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoken. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now the end of chapter 28, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, according to Matthew, Jesus says, I'm with you always. He came to us, and now he's going with us. A clear uh, reminder that Jesus is the fuel, fuels the mission. Can't do it on your own. We need his authority. We need his authority. And and as the band comes up, come on up, guys. All right, as Ricky comes up. What has happened, and if you've been in church any amount of time, what has happened is, and, and not hear much in Kings, but I just remind everybody. It's not let's pay the pastors, let them do the job. We'll just sit on the bleachers as spectators. And people come to faith, we'll cheer them on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they can join us on the bleachers so that the pastor can do that. I need to do it too. I'm not denying that I'm a disciple of Christ. And what discipleship means is making disciples, teaching them, and then sending them out to make more disciples. I'm not denying the fact that the pastors have to start. 
But it's not just our job. It's a commission on all of us as God's people. We are all commanded to do that. And what, what a greater impact it would be if, if all the disciples of Jesus were sharing the gospel and discipling one another. How much stronger and joyful our church would be if, if we were sharing the gospel and discipling one another. The only way we could be fruitful and multiply and see the kingdom expand is through every one of us taking up this mission with his authority, with his power, with his enabling, and go. Here's our mission statement. We exist, King's Chapel, to glorify God. We want him to get all the glory by living on mission. That's the missio day. That's what God is doing. We live on mission with him in what? Making disciples. This is our mission statement right here. Not, not something we made up. Gospel-centered worship, transformation, and community. Let's stand together if we can. Will you go? Or I should say, not will you go, as you are going. That's proper. That's more proper. As you are going, wherever God placed you, in your community, in your home, in your workplace, in your school, wherever you are, will you in 2022 go with the understanding that Jesus is sending me in wherever I am so that I can be a witness to his beauty and to his glory, most importantly, to his salvation? Maybe you need to pick up a book on evangelism. I can help you with that. Or maybe you just need to just pray. And, and remember, love people. Love them. Love them, care for them, serve them. All the while, just praying that God would open your eye, their eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. Somebody, opened, somebody shared gospel with you. That's why you're here. Your salvation wasn't something you thought up. It's because someone loved you. Someone loved you. Let's love people and let's point them to Jesus. He's been doing it from Genesis on. And now he's done it perfectly and wonderfully in the mystery known in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to give you the glory, Lord. You love us, called us in union with Christ, and now you send us out. Fill us with love and generosity and good deeds. But Lord, Please help us to lovingly tell people about you, to call them to repentance and faith. May we do it lovingly, carefully, but Lord, may we not keep our mouths shut. So this year, Lord, we pray that many will come to know Jesus. They'll have their sins forgiven. They'll be baptized, and they'll join this church or another local church where they can be discipled and then sent out also to make new disciples. May that be the cry of your church here at King's Chapel 2022, for your glory and our joy. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.